So, one of the arguments I made in my dissertation in the conclusion was that uh, particularly as a male pastor, when you're preaching to women about submitting, that you need to use as much humor as you can to keep from being stoned inside the worship service. <laughs> See, women aren't even laughing at that. Like, I don't think it's funny. <laughs> so, ladies, we're going to look at you today. Now, I'm going to look at the men in two weeks. I'm not going to hit them Thanksgiving because they're going to be hunting. So I'm going to look at him in two weeks. So give me a break today. Cut me some slack. We'll walk through. Now listen to the text. I didn't write this. It's not my fault. I have one job to tell you what it says. If you have a problem with that, you need to deal with two people. Paul and the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't deal with the Holy Spirit if I were you. And Paul's dead. So you have no option here, Ephesians 5, 21. We're going into the family. Now we're going to look at it. We're going to spend a few weeks on the family. Different aspects, we're going to look at it, obviously today, from the position that the Bible speaks to the ladies. Now it's very clear, here's what it says. Mutually submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So he's going to argue that both a husband and wife submit. Now he's fixing to make the husband the head of the home. And yet he's going to use the phrase here, mutually submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So inside the home, it's not just that the woman's a doormat and that she submits in that way. There is a mutual submission. And again, we'll look at the guys in a couple weeks. Here's what it says, ladies. Verse 22. The women, to their own husband, as to the Lord. There's not more of an absolute statement than that statement. Because the man is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church, himself being the Savior of the body. And as the church submits to Christ, thus in the same way women submit to their husbands in all things. Now, it's absolute. I want you to notice what it says. If you, I don't generally tell you to do this, but if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago when I walked through the difference between Satan and Jesus, I would encourage you to get that sermon. Look at the scripture verses we looked at. You have this real clear thing in the Bible. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that men might have life and have it abundantly. The enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy so what is the enemy like? Satan is a being as an inferior that absolutely chose not to submit to his superior. He said, I won't do it. Matter of fact, one of the passages we looked at in the Old Testament, over and over and over, he says, I, 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 I. It's not the father, it's Satan. The end result for him is the Bible says Jesus made the statement in Matthew 26 that he, there's a lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels because of his life submission. Then you come to Jesus, we look to the fact that he lived in complete submission to his father, equal to equal, his entire 33 years here. He said, I only speak what I hear the father say, I judge what I hear the father judge, and even at the cross, father's any way know that I'm in. 
So when you decide, and this is why he makes this statement, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, ladies, if your husband's godly and doing it right, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but if your husband's godly doing it right and you struggle with submitting to him, now, there are other reasons for struggling with submitting, but if your husband's doing it right and you struggle submitting to him, it's because your fear of Christ is not good. If you reverence and respect Jesus Christ in the way you ought to, then if your husband's doing it right, you will not struggle with submitting to him because of your fear for Jesus Christ. Your reverence and respect for him will drive your submission. In other words, it's not your husband that drives your submission. It is your submission to Christ that drives your submission. say, well, how do I fix that? I would encourage you to go home and look at two passages of Scripture in great meditative detail. Colossians 1, 9 through 20, in detail tells you who Christ is. Philippians 2, 4 through 11 tells you who, even though he was who he was, did what he did in a sacrificial gift so that you and I can be redeemed from what Satan brought us down to. So I would look at those two things because if you understand those two passages, you will submit to the man who does it correctly without any difficulty if you have a correct fear of Jesus Christ. Now, so let's go here. Now, the first thing we're going to do, I'm going to tell you what it's not, okay? Now, ladies, here's what it's not. This is one of my favorite things I've ever read in life. How to be a good wife. Here's an excerpt. I'm not going to read everything. From a 1950s high school home economics textbook. <laughs> the men are going to be going like this to you. That are married, they're going to be going, I can't believe that. And on the other side, they're going. So here it is. Number one. Have dinner ready. I haven't even read anything yet. What is wrong with you people? Plan ahead even the night before to have a delicious meal ready on time. Most men are hungry when they come home, and the prospect of a good meal is part of the warm welcome needed. Number two, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so that you're refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup. Your it gets better. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. Number three, clear away the clutter. Doing uh, your husband will feel he's reached his haven of rest and order. Prepare the children. Best way you can do that is hide them. Take a few minutes to wash their faces and hands. Comb their hair and change their clothes if necessary. They are, and I'm just quoting, God's creatures. I couldn't say that better. Your husband would like to see them playing their part. At the time of his arrival, eliminate all the noises of the washer, dry, dishwasher, and vacuum. I'm just reading this, okay? You've had plenty of time to do these things during the day. (laughs) 
I'm just reading it. <laughs> Do not greet your husband with problems or complaints. Amen. Well, you are dead when you get home, boy. <laughs> Have him lean back in a comfortable chair or suggest that he lie down for a few minutes on the bed. Have a cool or warm drink ready for him. Arrange his pillow. Offer to take off his shoes. <laughs> Speak in a low, soft, soothing, and pleasant voice. Now here's, here's, here's the coup de grace. Now think about this if you're a mom and you've got four children under the age of six. Here's the next thing. Remember that you relaxed all day waiting for his return. <laughs> I can't do anything with that. That is the 1950s idea of submission. So we're chunking that. That is not in the Word of God. There's nowhere in the Word of God does it say, take his shoes off. It does say the children are God's creatures and you need to do something with them, but that's really all that it says. So we're not going to go with the 50s, okay? So we're going to chunk that out. So gentlemen, she obviously is not your doormat, and if she didn't have supper ready, I got a Greek word for you. Bummer. Now, <laughs> now the second thing women struggle with, number they really do struggle sometimes with that archaic idea. The second thing they struggle with is a concept of inequality. I want you to listen to what Paul writes, same guy that wrote, writes this in Galatians 3.28. Listen, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the classic verses on submission, listen to what he writes. I say to you to know that the head of all, every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So you have Jesus submitting to the Father equal to equal. Paul makes the statement, the same guy that wrote Ephesians said to the Galatians, there is no difference between male and female, so there's absolute equality inside the marriage. Because your husband has the final say, and I'll explain that in a minute, does not in any way indicate his superiority. I can't remember the last wedding I did where I thought that the woman was marrying a superior. I, it's always been the woman just looking like it, and the guy's like, because he's Rosh Padish, that's what she's marrying. For those of you who don't know what the Hebrew word is, I can't use the word because the young mothers will kill me. So, there's equality. Doesn't mean inequality, because the Bible calls you to submit. Thirdly, I'm going to read to you from Genesis. The third thing, and this is the thing I hear most often today, that what Paul was arguing was a cultural position. That a woman submitting to her husband was a, was a cultural idea back in the first century. We're now in 2019. We don't live under that incredible, ridiculous cultural submission. Except that Timothy writes, when Paul writes to Timothy, he grounds in the second chapter when he says a woman is not allowed to exercise authority over a man. He grounds it in 
the creation story. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So the idea, ladies, of you submitting to your husband is not a cultural issue. It is a creation designed by the creator. Well, it gets quiet right there, doesn't it? There is no option then. So we're not going to live in the 50s. It doesn't mean inequality. And it's not a cultural issue. It is a biblical design of the creator. Now listen, before man sinned. So, what does it mean? Listen to Genesis chapter 2. Here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then he drops down and it says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man. He made it into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the biblical concept is, in the narrative, before we fail in our sin, the biblical concept is that women are in submission to the husband. That's part of the creation narrative. Now, you are then a helper to Adam. So when you marry... You're a helper to your husband. That's your calling. It's not my design. It's the design of the Bible. So, if you go back to Adam and Eve, now basically they were living in a, what we would call a ranching farming community. It was an agrarian situation. The, uh, Adam was doing two things. He was naming the animals that God was bringing him, and then they were planting the crops. So if he's helping him, then her job is to speak to him and to help him in what he's doing. If he's planning something, she speak, speak to him and to address what he's doing. I don't think we ought to put the crops over here. Let's put them over here. I don't think this looks like a gazelle. It looks like a giraffe. So she's helping him do what he's doing. Now, the only way to help him, if she's just walking around like this, waiting for him to get home, take his shoes off, didn't have any shoes in that day. So if she's just waiting for him to get home, she's not helping so the only way to help him is to work alongside him and to speak to him about what he's doing. Now, it fit there perfectly, obviously, but then you fast forward to today. We live in a day where uh, most of us don't have the same career. Now, if you're both on a farm, then you shared that, and for a long time that was the case. But if you're a lady married to a lawyer, you don't litigate his cases. You don't write his briefs. You don't go to the courtroom for him. You don't meet with the clients. If you're a lady married to a fireman, you don't go to the fire with him. We don't because we generally today have different careers. It becomes, how, how do we do this? And I think the answer is really pretty simple. You still are his help meet. So that means that you do, I think, two things. I think you cheerlead and you critique. Two C's. You cheerlead and you critique. I think both those things 
I think you help him by cheerleading. You encourage him. You pray for him. You respect him. You honor him. You make sure your children respect him and honor him. Ladies, you make sure your friends respect him and honor him. Do you cheerlead him? You encourage him. Flip side is there are days you have to critique him. Now, gentlemen, if you don't like that, you need to understand something. When she put this on, she took your name. Because whatever you do to your name happens now to her name. If you're successful, she's blessed. If you're not, she's hurt. So she has every right and responsibility and need to speak to you when where you're going is not wise. If you don't like that, then you turn her away from being your wife into your mistress. If she's your wife, then she speaks to where you are. Now, some of you guys are going, my wife's gifted in one of those two areas. See, those kind of questions, women are going, I don't think it's funny. Now, ladies, okay, wasn't the Holy Spirit, he didn't dial that way, so, now ladies, see this, you're going to cheerlead your husband when he does anything objectively in here correctly. You're going to critique your husband when he fails to do anything in here objectively, correctly. You're not going to cheerlead him or critique him out of your personality. For some of you ladies, you're just bubbly and you're going to cheerlead your husband no matter what he does. And you wind up bringing flattery to him, which is wrong in the public sphere and it's wrong in the private sphere. You cheerlead him when he's actually gone the biblical route. And ladies, you don't get to critique him out of your personality. You don't do that with your children. You don't do that with your husband. If you're a planner and you married a guy that's not and you knew that, and he doesn't plan every day of every vacation, he doesn't get up, we're going to be here at 7, here at 7.30, here at 8.30, got a Greek word for you. Bummer. You don't get to critique him out of your personality differences. If he fails or he's fixing to fail inside the objective domain of Scripture, then you critique. If he's living out the objective domain of Scripture, you cheerlead. Your cheerleading and your critique, both of which are legitimate biblically, are housed inside this book, not what you like or don't like. Now, obviously, the question is going to be, well, that's fine if my husband's living for Christ. What if he's not? What if he's carnal or he's not a Christian? How do I live under that? Here's what it says. Submitting to one another in the fear, that is the respect and the reverence of Christ. You submit as to the Lord. The entire basis of a woman submitting to her husband is inside her relationship to Christ. So listen to me, ladies. Listen to me. Don't you ever, 
improve your holiness for your husband's pleasure. Don't you ever, ever do that. And there are things I can't speak to in here because we have kids. When your husband wants you to engage in certain acts and you know they're not holy, don't you ever trade your holiness for his pleasure. If he wants you to watch something you know good and well the Bible objectively would condemn you watching, don't you trade your holiness for his pleasure. You say, well, it may cost me. Yes, it may. In the first century, when this book was written, no social media, so everything was face-to-face, and so there were Roman baths. And everyone went into the bath unclothed. You took your wife and you unclothed into the bath with other couples unclothed. The women that were coming to Christ began to understand that the only man that should see them is their husband. And so they began to look at their husbands in these churches and say, look, I can't, I can't go there anymore. And there were a ton of divorces in the first century church because the women simply said, I will not trade my holiness for your pleasure. Don't you ever, ever do that. So you don't engage with your husband's activities if it violates your holiness. Number two, you don't let your husband disengage you from God's activities. You don't engage with him and you don't let him disengage you. When he says to you, I don't want you going to church, I only have one day off, I work six days a week, I want you home every Sunday morning, you're going to look at him and say, honey, I, I'm not going to go to Tuesday night Bible study, I'm not going to go to this and that, but I want you to know I'm commanded by Scripture. And I want to obey that. I want to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ to our Lord, and I'm going to do that every Sunday. I'm going to be gone for you one hour. I won't do anything else in the week. I won't be in the choir. I won't do this. I won't do that. But I'm going to one hour a week because the Bible commands me to worship, and I'm going to worship because I love him even more than I love you, and I love you because I love him. So you're not going to engage in anything unholy. You're not going to let him disengage you from what is holy. Whether he's carnal or whether he's not a Christian. You say, well, why would God do this? Why would he put this order in the home? And the reason is because there's got to be someone in charge. Now, most of the time, we can compromise on a ton of things. But always in every home, at some point in life, in that home, there comes a decision that you can't compromise on. And so what the Bible does, it gives the man the final authority to make the final decision. Now, we'll explain how he has to do that in two weeks. But that is the authority that has been granted to him when he says you submit to him as Christ to the church. When he makes all these statements, then you don't have, that's, that's an absolute statement. So, here's the final call. You can compromise on a million things. But his decision is final because there are things you can't compromise on. There's no way for my wife and I to compromise on my new call. Neither one of us wants to leave here. Our friends are here. 
Every doctor we have is here. Everything we have is here. We've been here 33 years. We, everything we have is here. So when, we, uh, when we're sitting with the president and he makes the offer to us, I remember in the middle of it, it's about a 20-minute conversation after I preached in chapel in April, I remember in the middle of it, my wife looked at him. We were both stunned. We didn't see this at all on the horizon. And we were both stunned. And my wife looked at him and said, look, I, I got to take a breath here. Because this is not an easy decision. But my wife, there's no way to compromise. I can't, like, leave her in Waco. And I go to full work. And she did terrorize me the other day. She said, you need to know that if we go up there, I'm leaving all my friends, all the people I talk to. It's going to be me and the dog. And so I'm going to save up every day all my words for you when you get home. I got in a fetal position and wept for an hour. There's no way to compromise here. As she has always done. Death, follow my call. At whatever <clears throat> sacrifice that is for her, and she has always done that. So I would say to you ladies that are not married, and you're thinking one day you will be, let me be real clear, don't you ever marry a man that does not walk well with Jesus Christ. Because you bind yourself to a man whose life will denigrate and desecrate who you are. And all of this, what a man has to do in two weeks, what ladies you have to do today, is rooted completely in who we are in Jesus Christ. My wife's submission is not because of who I am, it's because of whose she is. And that is key. Father, Thank you for your truth. There are parts of it we struggle with and we struggle because we've forgotten who your son is and what he's done. And so, Father, I just pray today, if there's anybody here that has never accepted what he's done, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them today. For those here that have accepted that, but they've lost an understanding of depth, emotionally and spiritually of what your son did for us let them fix that even today and father for those that understand that and you want them to be a part of this fellowship i ask you holy spirit to speak to them and you make the difference this morning i ask you that in jesus Christ's name heads bowed eyes closed Steph and I are here at the front. If you've never met Jesus, 
Lord, we'll be glad to share with you how to find him. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. We want you to do that. And if you need to uh, pray over something in your life, we're here. We'll be glad to pray with you. Take you to the throne with us. And uh, we'll minister to you in any way we can. So as the Father, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to you because of the death of the Son, you respond today.